Hello. Welcome to episode 16 of B2B SaaS Marketing Snacks. This one is not so snack-sized. It's the longest episode we've ever had, but I also, I think it's also the best. So definitely if if you're into the 15-minute kind of thing, maybe do a 15-minute session and then listen to it again for 15 minutes for another session. <laughs> uh, I do think it's worth it though. Stein and I had a really good conversation on this one. We talked about a lot of things, closing out the conversation from episode 14 and 15 about, um, you know, 14, we talked about sizing up your market and defining your ICP. And then in 15, we talked about positioning and messaging for that specific niche. So this episode, we're talking about now that you have your kind of hypothesis in place, you have to put some skin in the game and go test your hypothesis. And so usually if, you know, a lot of companies will, you know, launch a product and verify their positioning and messaging with a hundred thousand in ad spend to, you know, go test which ones are most effective. But if you don't have that same level of budget or the ability to go run those tests, you can run go-to-market experiments using ABM uh, and which is account-based marketing or outbound or outbound, just outbound email, outbound LinkedIn messaging. Um, so yeah, that is the, the crux of the content today. And, uh, we went on a couple of tangents, um, about chatbots and, um, you know, making sure that when you start things like this, when you start go to market experiments and run outbound, any kind of marketing program, uh, sticking with it because a lot of companies shut them down too quickly before they see results. And um, what you don't see is after three, four quarters, these efforts compound. And so if you shut things down too quickly, you won't see those benefits. So yeah, that's uh, that's what we talk about today. I think it's a really good one. Uh, thanks for being patient for the last two months while we've been uh, working hard on a lot of stuff in the background. Appreciate you. And uh, yeah, let's jump into it. I have found ABM, account-based marketing, to be a great way to test if you have found the right niche, right? Or if you have to make it either smaller or bigger. What account-based marketing really is, it is the test to do you actually understand the real definition of your ICP good enough to make it, uh, to be able to execute against it, right? Are you now able to turn your relatively theoretical ICP, not completely theoretical, it's usually based on your existing customer base, right, where you found success, but are you able to turn that into something more programmatic where you understand what the common you know, attributes are, what do these um, customers typically look like, and how do you find more, where do you find more? And ABM, account-based marketing, starts, of course, with they're building lists, you know, building a list of those companies that fit those ICP criteria. And then a very important second step that um, that we've sort of at Kalungi uh, customized a little bit. How do you now find the right people at these companies to, uh, to market to? Uh, according to a relatively complex you know, B2B buyer's journey, right? There sometimes are more than one personas involved. So we did some work there. So I think... ABM is a is a great test. 
when you think of the next test you do with ABM, so first is, is the ICP, you know, useful, <laughs> usable. Uh, and the next, of course, is the market that you now just defined as your ICP big enough. Because when you do that list building, you find out, hey, what are the companies or organizations that fit that ICP? How many people can we actually find in the right personas that are going to be worth reaching out to? Now you can also answer the question, what part of that market that you have defined, let's say out of the total addressable market, the market that you're playing in as a company, what part of the market is serviceable by you, right? That's really the question you answer when you define your ICP. You're saying, hey, if if we think about our superpowers, our value proposition, this part of the market is what we like to service. That's the ICP, that total addressable market now becomes the total serviceable part of that addressable market, often called the SAM serviceable addressable market. And when you then do that ABM effort and you start building the actual list and you try to find out how many contacts are there that we can find within these organizations, how many of those can we find that actually have reliable contact information like email addresses that work. Now you actually have a starting point of what's called your SOM, your, your serviceable and obtainable market, right? That's more of a realistic foundation for also your planning efforts. Um, so that's, I think, Mike, starting to answer that question, I think, that you started with. How big should your niche be? Is it big enough, etc.? Because when you now have this effort uh, through ABM, um, I think, uh, through an ABM approach uh, to test the reality of your assumptions, um, you're starting to answer that question. Is this niche going to be big enough for me? And okay, so here's another question. So when when you talk about testing your niche, right, you're kind of using ABM as a means to test your value prop and your messaging and also your maybe uh, what you're putting out in the world, probably your brand, your existing content, things like that. Um, what do you actually need before you can start reaching out to people so that you're not just saying, hey, here's a demo, like request it? Yeah, no, and I think the same answer basically, but now you're talking about the third step in ABM. The first is sort of building your list of companies. The second, the list of contacts, according to the personas that you've defined. The third is sort of how do I now communicate my value proposition when they actually, you know, pick up the phone, when they click on the email, when they open the door, right? Because with ABM, you're basically going to knock on a couple of doors. And when they open, you need to be ready to to pitch, right? To to answer, to ask the right questions, to answer the right questions, to to pro pro profile yourself in a way that's meaningful for this um, this prospect. What's interesting with ABM, you know, by definition, that these people are not waiting for your call, right? They were not thinking they had a problem or a need because if they would, you know, they would have searched something on Google and hopefully hopefully find you. That would be more of an inbound lead but, but now by definition they're not waiting for your phone call so when they open the door you have to be ready to in the most meaningful way right because they are part of your ideal customer profile hopefully your value prop is going to resonate with them right you're going to have things to share that are meaningful for them because you've done the hard work of making sure they fit that ideal customer profile um, then they're likely to be able to understand the challenges that you're going to share with them. Hey, have you ever encountered this problem? Are you struggling with X, Y, or Z? Um, and that's, I think, that first step into testing also whether your messaging and your value prop actually resonates, 
right? It's not a great, I think, testament to are you in the right niche or not, right? Because if you can if you can reach the people who you have defined as that ideal customer profile, but your messaging and your value prop doesn't resonate, then maybe you're not in the right niche, right? Maybe you have not reached product market fit yet. That's a good note about the the product market fit as well. Like I think um, there's an important distinction that needs to be made when you're doing outbound too, is like make a note of what level of awareness your audience is at. Because I think if you're in a market where you have competitors, it's a well-known market, let's say for you know chatbots. People know what a chatbot is for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty widely adopted kind of uh, solution, piece of software, a tool. But if, yeah, you're, if you're a software company into- and you don't have a chatbot on your website, you need to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah. right. And you understand, people understand what the problem is, what the solutions are, and some of the brands in that play in that space. So you're essentially, co- you're going into a category that's known and you're trying to differentiate yourself probably based on price or features. If you're going to go into a, if you're building software for something that might not exist already, you're solving a problem that is not answered by tools that are on the market, you have to kind of adjust the way that you um, reach out to people and the value that you're adding and not go straight into the features, benefits, talk. Because if if somebody's not even aware that they really have a problem, um, those things won't land. Um, so I was wondering, I know that you talk about jobs to be done um, in that kind of framework. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on like specifically when you would use features versus benefits versus jobs to be done. And if there's any place where each of those fits into the equation in ABM, or if it's just kind of you go off of what you think the, what stage of awareness your prospects are at based on the level of maturity that your category and product is at. I know that's a lot of different variables there, but Mm -hmm. Wondering if you had any thoughts there. Great, great point. And I like that you sort of um, mentioned the question, are you trying to play in an existing category that is already defined or are you creating a new category? It's a very important um, difference, right? Differentiation. If you are in an existing category, and, and, and by the way, an easy way to find out is if there is, if, if you're a software company, B2B software company, if there's a Captera category you know or g2 crowd or software advice one of those websites that helps you that helps customers find you know the various options then the category is basically established right so and playing in that field which is not by the way i think what you would do when you would try to nail a niche because now you're more you know fighting for market share in an existing category um, but that's a great sort of first question because if you're if you're trying to do that, it, it warrants a very different approach. Then you have to compete on things that are maybe more sort of established um, uh, purchasing um, criteria, right? Price is one of those uh, features that you check, uh, things like that. But ideally, when you're trying to nail a niche, you you don't want to go there. So you want to check if that category is already well-defined, well-established, and then maybe you want to change that a little bit. You want to say, hey, but I'm not going to just play in that category that already is well-defined. I'm going to either stake out a part of that market and make it more explicit about a very specific problem that only I can solve, right? And you're creating a niche maybe within an existing product category, 
or you're creating a new product category. And if you're doing that, then you're right, Mike, education and having your prospects that you're doing marketing to ABM, for example, um, first sort of start that journey with you as in they need to realize there is actually a problem. And, you know, we like to say they have to answer the question, why should they change, right? Why should they come out of a natural state of inertia? Um, that is really a different problem and would be a different type of messaging that you would deploy um, than when you're in an existing category where the question is, is deeper in the funnel. It's more now you're in the consideration stage of the funnel and you have to answer the question, you know, why you, right? Why someone should change is a very different question versus you know, why they should do that with you. And understanding that before you start developing your messaging and in this case, your ABM strategy, um, it's really important. Hey, can I just, I, I, when you brought up online chat, I have to I have to ramble a little bit on that. Um, <laughs> Go for it. So I mean, if you're a software company and you don't have online chat on your website, and online chat could be like HubSpot has a great one, uh, Drift, you know, Olark. O- 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 there, there's many, I think, uh, out there, live chat. If you don't, it is the equivalent of you having a retail a store with a retail storefront and you're having basically someone in your store. There's someone, you have a clerk behind the counter. Someone is working in the store. But then in front of the door, like the door is locked. <laughs> you have the closed sign still up. So people walk by your window and they see beautiful products. They would love to buy. They would love to walk into the, the store, but you know, they, they try the door and the door is locked. That for me is the equivalent of a software company, a modern software company, not having online chat enabled on their website. And there are many reasons for people that they say, oh, this is why I don't have it enabled because either, you know, I don't have people who can, you know, answer the chat, right? I don't have that capacity. Or I don't want, you know, customer service questions to be asked uh, to to maybe someone who's more in a sales function who's behind the chat. And guess what? Those, if, if those are the challenges, you need to go fix those, right? Because if you, first of all, if if customers come to your website, existing customers with support questions with customer service, you also want to have those conversations, right? So yeah, maybe the person who's manning or or the woman behind the online chat has to hand them off to someone else. I think that's fine because the last thing you want to be doing is basically shut your door to those conversations. Uh, and then second, most of these online chat uh, tools have great, you know, answer bots. So even if you cannot, you know, service an, a chat bot on your website 24-7, you can at least have it there and and do it in more in an offline fashion when there's nobody available to to engage. But, but in the end, when someone comes to your website, they're knocking on your door and they want to talk with you, you definitely want to open that door open, right, with online chat. All right, so I wanted to also jump in and make one quick additional note here. In many cases, if you're a really small company, you're just getting off the ground and you really don't have the capacity to to have somebody, you know, um, sitting on the back end of a live chat on your website, the other thing that you can do is a lot of the tools will allow you to set up decision trees and um, route questions. So let's say somebody comes to the site, you can they can engage with you and say, hey, my name is blah, blah, blah. And you can basically say, present them with options that let them choose where they want to go next. Do you want support? Do you have a, you know, a question about X, Y, Z? Do you have a question about pricing? Do you want to talk to a human? And then based on whatever their response is, you can then give them uh, an automated response or as well, or send them to a section on your website. So much of this is just collecting data, right? Understanding what are the questions that people ask frequently. And then to quell some of it, 
you can also just create content that answers those questions. So if a bunch of people are coming in and asking about pricing, go build a pricing page. And even if you're not willing to share your pricing because you're a big, you know, enterprise software product and so much of it has to be customized out, that's fine. But just set the expectation, give them somewhere to go or say, Hey, you know, we usually have these conversations in person, set the expectation that someone's going to follow up in a few hours, collect their email address. That's fine too. But there just has to be somewhere for those requests to go um, so they don't just die out in the open. Give them somewhere to ask those questions. That's the main point here. So just sorry for the rant, Mike. But I, uh, no, 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 no. It's a good point. I, I saw something, I want to say it was on Twitter, from someone that I follow the other day, and they, uh, they had an interesting way of putting it. They basically said, if your AE's calendar is empty, you should be taking every conversation, every meeting, trying to fill the calendar. If their calendar is full, that's when you get to be a little bit more selective about who gets a meeting on the calendar. So especially if you're young and you're just getting your functions started, having an open kind of avenue for somebody to ask you questions is a goldmine because it it starts those conversations and it gets you more at-bats. So you you just have more opportunity to, to kind of bring people into your funnel. So 100%. I wanted to, can I go back a little yeah, bit? Can yeah, I backtrack yeah. on us? So earlier you said you were talking about Captera and it might not be worth showing up on Captera if you are trying to niche down. And I wanted to challenge that a little bit because I think if you're, let's say you're in a category and there are some incumbents, right? Let's, they're giant companies that have a solution for a, a well-known problem. People know what the what the solution is and how it solves their problem, but they don't focus on any particular vertical or subset of that industry. I still think it's valuable to show up where they show up, especially in terms of reviews because of like the social proof aspect of it. When you, if you're doing something like ABM and you're new in the market and no one's heard about you before, the first thing that I'm going to do if I get a message from somebody is I'm going to go to your website and I'm going to do some online research. What are the reviews of your product? How do you st stack up against these other companies that are doing it? Um, and even though I agree Captera is a very wide net, so if you're focused on like, you know, CMMS for the biomed industry, showing up on Captera is probably not going to get you a ton of people in the biomed industry, but it will it shows that you are a player. And if you can get a solid amount of reviews and people that say that your product is worth using and worthwhile, um, it just makes you look stronger. Um, so I think showing up in the same places that your competitors show up is important, especially if you have to kind of prove yourself and you're getting getting started. So I just wanted to go back on that for a second. I think there is a distinction there. I agree it's not worth investing a ton of time in, but getting some kind of online presence up that's not just your website where there's some kind of third-party validation for you is super, super important if you're just getting started and trying to build a reputation. I think you're 100% right, Mike. I think I have to walk back some of my comments. I think you're right. When there is a Captera category, it is actually the right moment to say, okay, now I'm going to define my niche within that Captera 
within the existing, let's call it a product category that's already defined, right? And you're right, that doesn't mean you shouldn't show up in that Captera list, right? You still should. But now you show up there maybe with a very specific angle, right? Saying, hey, within sort of, let's say the, the category is online chat software for uh, for, for software companies. Um, then within that category where you should show up between all the other options, you can stand out by saying we are the only ones who do this for uh, companies that do, who have to deal with highly, you know, privacy sensitive information, right? Sure. Uh, chat solution for you know maybe companies that are in you know providing medical solutions or or, or um, employee um, software management software or something like that, and and then you're sort of still staking out a niche. Uh, within that established category, but you're making it really clear why you're different from a lot of the other uh, options there. But you're right, you still should be in that category. Okay, moving on. So we've talked about um, how to size up your market, how big or small your niche should be, um, how to kind of differentiate yourself and segment the market, and then also about how to potentially reach people. How long, this is a question that, we probably get asked whenever whenever we talk about ABM, how long does it take to start seeing results? Is it realistic to you know see that ramp very quickly, or what's the what should people be expecting if you get you know start standing up an ABM function? Yeah, now you're opening up really the the Pandora box <laughs> of ABM of outbound in general, Mike. I think this is such an important uh, topic. We see it all the time. We see CEOs, CMOs, um, owners of companies give up on outbound or ABM efforts too early. Um, if you think of the time it takes for you to actually do the proper list building, verify the quality of that data, build the messaging, etc., then do the outreach, learn from that initial outreach, like do something with the data you get back, who's opening, who's clicking, etc., who's showing up for the meetings. That is one or one quarter easily, right? Then there's probably another quarter. So let's take 20. But can't you can't you just buy a list? I mean, come on. Yeah, you can. And then and I think buying a list is not necessarily a bad thing. I think there are many lists out there that you should not buy. <laughs> you know, there's a huge amount of companies who make it their business to just recycle existing lists and existing contacts. And by the way, if you if some of you who are listening don't know, a lot of those lists actually contain what's called spam traps, which is basically a, a technique used by uh, the spam filter vendors, right? The 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 Googles and the Microsofts of the world, to know if if certain lists were acquired um, in the wrong way, and spam traps absolutely they're basically specific contact records, emails that are planted there to sort of um, to to find out that you actually were buying recycled contact lists. Uh, so when you do that, it's a very um, it's very tricky. Um, tricky risk you're taking, but Mike, you can buy good good quality lists. There are good quality lists out there, right? If you have someone you sponsored an event, and you know that the type of people or you know who would have signed up for that event, who would have actually attended, are really right in your um, and the niche that you're trying to nail, then buying that list is a great great strategy. Typically, that will also take you a quarter, right, to actually acquire the list, get the data and into the right your list, system, yeah, sure. uh, figure out if it's all actually use, usable, or you have to filter some things out. But yeah, so that that, that gives that's one quarter, and then I think you need another quarter 
to actually do the follow-up of the initial outreach effort. So you'll have meetings that get scheduled. So you'll meet with the people who were on your initial um, outbound uh, sort of list. And you'll find out whether those are the right people to meet with. Many of them will not be, but they might know the right person who is. So now you're in the second quarter of your ABM effort and your list is starting to grow because you're going to have those meetings and they're going to tell you, yeah, but I'm not the right person to speak with. You should talk with X, Y, Z. And now you're starting to to fine tune your list of personas, the quality of your data. And now you're getting to sort of test your messaging, right? Because once you actually, and now you're at the end of that second quarter, you finally have the meeting with the right person who you got referred to. And now in that meeting, you're going to test your value prop and your messaging. You're going to see if it resonates. You can Now you're going to see after that first meeting with the right person, are you going to get the second meeting, um, which now gets you to do the third quarter of the year. Um, and now you're maybe starting to see, hey, this is working or it's not, right? I have the right ICP, I have the right messaging, the right value prop. While all this is happening, you also will have the effect that some outreach efforts will take multiple digital touches before they convert, right? There's really solid proof that when you knock on doors, you need to send, let's call this knocking on doors, but it's really sending out emails, LinkedIn, connect requests, things like that. You have to do it three, four, five times before it typically converts into a reaction. And that is by design. That is because people are busy. They don't read all the email that comes in. Sometimes they miss an email. And if they don't don't click, you know, this is spam or they don't tell you they don't want to hear from you anymore, then they're still in your funnel. They might be, you know, going, they might react to the second or the third or the fourth message. So that also all takes time. So before you know it, Mike, you're three quarters in, maybe even four quarters. And what we see a lot is that leaders don't have that patience. So if the if the ABM efforts, which is typically a costly investment, right, it takes a lot of time and effort to do the outreach, to invest in the right data, to do to have the follow-up conversations, that two, three, four months in, you know, patience is going to run thin. And either the salespeople or the, the sales leader or the, the CEO is going to say, well, you know, this didn't work. Let's go back to content marketing or to, to the event that we've sponsored last year. And that's a real uh, a real shame because doing ABM well is the ultimate way to test whether your ICP is correct, whether you understand your personas, whether you have a great sort of value proposition and messaging to back it up. So even if it doesn't lead to a lot of MQLs within a couple of months, it will lead to a lot of new insights that will help you. Yeah, clean all that up. So um, yeah, that's sort of what I think, uh, Mike, is is important with ABM that you know you you stick with it long enough. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think also by design, even if you just get a fraction of the conversions that you would get from in, from inbound, they're going to be so much higher quality simply because you've already defined the you've you've said these people we know are going to be a great fit so anybody who converts here is like a plus a plus lead right and you you can't guarantee that same quality from an inbound perspective um it's much harder to fine tune from an inbound perspective yeah yeah and especially most of our listeners are part of b2b SaaS companies and if you're in it for the lifetime value of a B2B SaaS customer, then that's worth it, right? It's worth finding the right customer who's going to stay with you for that six, seven years period with a low churn that that really is, you know, the value of your SaaS business. Instead of getting maybe people into the inbound funnel, 
who might sign up relatively quickly because they, they found you and they're already aware they have a need, uh, but they might also churn. They might not pay you what you want them to pay, right? You may have to discount those um, prospects. Um, so what I, I love to be, we're in the in football season right now, Mike, and I, I had some conversations with people where we compared uh, sticking with ABM for like two, three, ideally like four quarters of a year to stick with the running game in a, foot, in, a, in a football game, right? For not just one quarter or two quarters, but the third and the fourth quarter, because that's when the the running game in a football game will start showing its results, right? The first quarter, you may not get a lot of yardage, even not in the second, but you're pounding on that defense. You're finding the holes. And, and once you sort of start to wear down that defense, it's really going to pay off in the third and the fourth quarter. And we think there's a lot of uh, great analogy there with ABM. Um, because with account-based marketing, the first quarter, the second quarter is all about, you know, verifying your ICP, the personas, the quality of your list, the messaging, the validity of your, your, of your value proposition. And that's extremely valuable in itself, even if the leads only start flowing in the third quarter. Yeah, and you know, but also, <laughs> I love this football analogy, as you can tell, probably. Uh, apologize for the non-sport fans out there. But when when ABM gets sort of challenged in the third, fourth month and people say, hey, you know, it's not working. We're not going to get the leads. Now they go back to what I would call the Hail Mary <laughs> strategy of let's just try something else and let's try three other things. And that's like in a football game. You give up on the running game because you're not breaking through yet in the first quarter or the second quarter. And now you're just going to throw that ball around again, which means you're going to risk interceptions. You're not necessarily going to get... Um, a sort of sustainable, continuous effort that um, that wears down your opponent, right? And the same a little bit when you stop at ABM. Now you're just going to do all these um, sort of, um, I think, guesses as to, hey, let's try this channel. Let's do a little bit of page search. Let's build a little bit of content. All these other marketing channels that might work, but they're far less predictable than ABM. Because with ABM, because you're so structured and focused on your ICP and, and testing your messaging, you can do A-B tests with every email you send out, with every conversation you have. It is a much better way when you're still building the foundation of your marketing to build on top of everything you learn and keep improving than trying to do these Hail Mary passes to all these other marketing tactics that are much harder to really test and evaluate in the same way as you can do with ABM. Sorry, I'm a little bit on the ABM horse today, Mike. Uh, but I think as people get ready for 2021, um, it's an important sort of strategic choice to make. Do you want to do some of this to do ABM? And then are you ready to do it for the long haul? Because otherwise you might as well not. Yeah, no, that's a, super important. I, and I think there's also another important note to be made here that ABM can be done at all of these different kind of investment levels. So I think... One of the ways when you, to get started very lean is to go, you know, define your ICP, build a list, find the personas, and actually just go send LinkedIn messages and email them, right? That's super low investment. You just need kind of to get send the emails. There's additional things on top of that that you can do. You can start sending people things. You can get very targeted with um, like Sendoso. You can start you can provide air cover in terms of ads. So if you have a list with people who have their email addresses and they're, they match with their LinkedIn profiles, you can actually target them specifically with ads. And so you can, while you're 
messaging people, you can kind of, it's called air cover. It just create display ads and just put your brand in front of them. I think that's half of the battle when you're just getting started is just getting your name out there and letting people discover you on their own terms. Because when you're going outbound, like Stein, you said, people are not in buy mode. They're in leave me alone mode get out of my LinkedIn inbox unless they're searching. And you will find people who are ready to say, yeah, I'd love to have a conversation. But most of the time they will let they will see your message. They will let it sit. And, but now you have a little kind of seed in their brain. So seven months, eight months, nine months down the road, when they're actually thinking about that problem, when they know that it's there, they're going to think about you. Um, and those are the, those are the investments that you're talking about right now with like the kind of pounding the ground game that you don't like that is value that has been created for you but it just will not materialize for a while and you have to be patient and kind of continue like eight months later follow up say hey just checking in wanted to you know we had this cool um, report that we built an industry report thought you might get value from it and hey you might that person might be ready to have a conversation at that point so i think it's all about the consistency it's all about getting the name out there in the first place Consistency and persistency. You're right. I, I think when you um, think of human psychology, you're building some kind of a, a depth in someone's mind if you keep making a real genuine effort to help them. And of course, this is tricky when you're doing unsolicited email or unsolicited you know, phone calls or, or LinkedIn requests because people will judge you based on the genuine intentions they think you have, right? If you send out messages that are really thoughtful and they seem to be really matching with what someone in that audience might be looking for, then I, I've seen it all the time. People will ignore you for a while. I had a lead a couple of days ago, Mark, that came in who said, yeah, you were spamming me last year on LinkedIn. <laughs> but guess what? Right now I need you. And you're the first person I called because I remembered that what you send was actually what I need today, right? And and I think that happens a lot. And unless, you know, you're getting um, lazy and you don't put enough thought in the messages you send and you don't have valuable content, you create great sort of uh, blog articles, et cetera, that people can do to do their own sort of um, research, um, I, I think you, you should stick with it. Um, the other thing, ABM doesn't, you, you touched on some things that are great, Mike, you can automate a lot, you can automate follow-up, you can do retargeting with ads and LinkedIn and things like that. But also think very small, right? If you're the CEO or the founder of a company, don't outsource this to your marketing team or your, your agency until you've done a couple things yourself. If you are the founder of, of a company, you should know what you think is the value prop for your audience, what that ideal customer profile looks like, right? And you should do some of your own sort of list building. Go on LinkedIn, et cetera, go online and find five or six um, people, individuals, companies who you think really fit that ICP and do your own one-on-one -on -one outreach, right? And test it and, and see if the value prop that you're sharing, the, the subject line in the email, the things you share in a LinkedIn, you know, connect request, if they resonate with people, right? And that is sort of the first version of ABM, doing that yourself as the founder, as the CEO. And it takes time, it takes effort. It's not easy, 
But unless you're able to do that, unless you're able to articulate who your ideal customer profile is, where to find them, what your value prop is, then any other effort at scale, you know, whether you spend money on an agency or you you let a, 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 your marketing team run run with this, is not going to be as effective as when you initially, as the founder CEO, have verified that you understand some of these basic questions. And if you don't, if you don't have great answers there, then ABM can help you, um, you know, get some of those questions answered as well. Thank you.